Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Mike Lewis and Doug Battle with the Fanalytics podcast. Uh, we're recording this on 8.17, 9.17 in the morning. So if we're a little behind, that's that's the reason. How are you, Doug? Mike, I'm in great spirits. Um, Today, Georgia has their first fall practice for college football, uh, which we can get into that whole discussion in a moment. Um, And the NBA playoffs tip off today. The team that I like the most, the Portland Trailblazers, made it in in the playing game this weekend. So things are are good. It's, It's sun shining today. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. So uh, Portland is the eighth seed playing the uh, number one seed, uh, Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, correct? and there's no home court advantage. My concern for Portland is that they're burned out because they had to claw their way into the playoffs these last uh, two weeks or so. But regardless, they've been playing better ball than LA, and there's no home court advantage. So it it is a more interesting dynamic now in the bubble. No one's. I mean, we haven't seen. A playoff series on a neutral court before. Well, and, and you know, matchups. You know, the the old adage, and especially things like combat sports, are the matchups make the fights. Do the matchups make the make the games? Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm a I'm of a couple minds in terms of the NBA playoffs, um, and I'm almost reluctant to say this, but. Uh, you know, here's my prediction on the on who's going to be playing in the finals. The Lakers versus the Milwaukee Bucks, right? I mean, the NBA seems to have a bad history of the two biggest superstars in each league go head-to-head in terms of the championship. But but that being said, I mean, the, the, the storylines start to write themselves, right? I mean, is there a more effective player against the Lakers than the point guard for the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah. Dame Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum for Portland are an interesting matchup um, because defensively they're nothing special, but they can score against anyone. And the guard play uh, for Los Angeles for the Los Angeles Lakers hasn't been phenomenal, so they have the advantage at, at the guards. And obviously Los Angeles with LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, um, I would expect them to put up some big numbers. 
because of Portland's defensive struggles, uh, particularly in the interior. So it's, yeah, it's a matchup thing. It'll be interesting, but I eh, I don't know. I think LA could sweep. I also think Portland could could take it to six or seven and, and we'll see what happens at that point. So it's, uh, it's exciting for those of us that have just like put aside the fact that they're playing without fans and just decided to just enjoy it for what it is. Okay, that 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 kind of that kind of surprises me that um, the way you structured that in terms of to enjoy it for whatever it is, uh, for you know, in some ways your role on the podcast is the role of the the role of the fan, the perspective of the fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, so so sports is a story, right? And and so there the story plays out over the course of this preseason hype. Stories lines play out over the course of the regular season. Typically, you've got a playoff chase, and then you know the stories are built into you know the, the stories are identified and are the narratives play through the the playoff structure. Uh, is there a hole in the NBA story structure because of the 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 way this season is playing out? I think uh, there's no escaping the fact that certain fans aren't watching because they f- well you're playing in you're playing in august right which doesn't make any sense yeah you're playing I and mean, it's a different time of year i mean typically they're getting ready for next season by now uh or playing in the olympics and so it, yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel the same uh obviously the presentation i think they're doing a great job with what they have uh but they've got a lot less to work with without the fans and, and having to distance the players and interviews i mean there's there's a lot of things that just kind of remind you this is different so yeah i think there's no escaping the fact that some fans aren't going to watch or aren't going to view it the same because of the circumstances i think that will certainly be the case if we have a college football season because fans play such a huge role in that that sport but you know it's 2020 and for me as a fan i'm like we got to work with what we got i'm happy just to have some competition and that these guys are playing and there's some interesting dynamics that are new and so i i enjoy those and am interested to see if we get more upsets or that kind of thing with the neutral court environment in the playoffs yeah, I'll admit that you know I, I pay close attention to especially the the business side of sports and in this case you know we don't have we don't have sort of a prime indicator of fan interest uh, in terms of attendance given the given the nature of the season. Um, I've been following the news articles in terms of the TV ratings, and I, I think you mentioned this maybe last week. It it's it's interesting because. When you look for news articles, you do seem to get. I mean, I just pulled it up real quickly doing doing a Google search um, for the news on NBA ratings. Uh, NBA ratings dip out of step with trend. Mm-hmm. NBA ratings continue to be inexplicit, inexplicably low. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of going down the list, and and I don't know that um, it's. These articles all mostly mainly seem to be written from the perspective of well, someone's got a theory, and then they're going to use data to back up the theory, rather than trying to figure out you know from the data in terms of what's actually occurring. Uh, the analytics person in me, well, in the marketing person in me, I, I look at this in a couple of ways, and and I think in the absence of data, and I'll explain why the data is a problem in a second here that. 
we really have to rely on theory or first principles. I mean, one of the one of the theories I've heard people advance is that people, you know, f- kind of forgot about sports, and and there's a logic to that. Um, there's something called purchase feedback effects, which the basic idea is that you become more loyal to a product through basically using the product. And so, in the case of sports, you know, if you got a season long narrative that's going to build up the enthusiasm. So taking a major break kind of resets that. And it may be difficult to get folks back into the mood, especially given all that has happened to to the environment and to society. The other thing is, when I, when I read the articles in depth, you get the sense and, and that the challenges, and I think even the layperson understands this, that there's a challenge in terms of making comparisons. Um, like we said, they're playing these games in August and instead of April. They're playing the games in competition with Major League Baseball, which at a different point in sort of the Major League Baseball season, there are there's the social justice aspect to the the way the games are formatted with the messages on the court and the back of the jerseys. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bunch of things going on. And so it's you know essentially impossible to tease out what these ratings decline, what these things actually even mean. Yeah, and another variable to me that's quite interesting. And obviously, we can't put you know we can't attribute all of all of the ratings decline to one thing. Uh, but one factor that's certainly interesting is the fact that fans not being in the crowd makes fans not want to watch it on television as much. Um, it's like we're learning how valuable fans are just as we're learning how valuable these college football players are with their absences and the money that's going to be lost by conferences and in athletic departments. But, you know, it's, it's kind of commonly thought that the super fan is just, you know, they take ownership of performances that aren't theirs and they really aren't good for anything <laughs> and they aren't valued. Uh, by society, in my opinion, um, and yet we don't want to watch sports without them. <laughs> I like that. The super fan is not valued by society. He's not. Um, He's I not. Think that, People think they're crazy. People think I'm crazy. I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> I, I think 100%. I mean, you know, and you're a little young for this. There's a famous episode of Seinfeld where the the gang goes to a game with David Putty, who's a, who turns out to be a face painter, and they view him fundamentally different after that after that event look i'm i'm a big proponent in terms of super fandom it's um in, in sports super fandom may cross a line in terms of people and, and i say this with love in my heart doug given some of your history at the university of georgia sure. that people will actually put on costumes and dress up to express their fandom yeah but fans are uh, fans are a, a, at the core, incredibly passionate members of of a community, and so they're incredibly important people. Um, you know, if we switch to politics for a second, the biggest fans of Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Bernie Sanders, those are the folks that are likely going to drive who becomes the the next president. So I mean, it's like when you sports matter, but this this concept of fandom goes beyond um when you mentioned that the importance of in-person viewing a couple of thoughts went through my head first i think that's almost a bigger issue for baseball mm. 
the the nature of baseball where you go to the games sort of more let's say occasionally um, for that sitting out in the sun experience I, I think that is you know so the difference in the way these sports are consumed really a killer for baseball the other thing when you mentioned the it also occurred to me that the bars are pretty much shut down as well yes and so what we're looking at is no communal consumption in arenas no communal or very little communal consumption in bars and i wouldn't be surprised if people are less likely or less willing to invite folks over to their homes to watch games so you take away all of that community what is the impact on interest in sports well, and, and hey, you, we could add another one to it. The fact that most people or a lot of people still are not back to the office environment. Mm. So you've taken away all the opportunities to talk about sports and to discuss the sports. Yeah, I've I've noticed for me, because I'm watching a lot of games solo, and uh, it's not the same experience for me. And I can certainly see how people would be less inclined to watch simply because of that um, and simply because there's no one to talk to about, you know, other than on text or, or Twitter. So it's interesting. I think this is all showing or revealing how important communal consumption is for sports um, and also how important fans and and the energy that they bring and the feel and, you know, the pageantry that comes with them brings to the experience for the average consumer who's watching on their television yeah it's um it's a it's it's a moment um and you know i struggle with this some because we've been talking about oh you know you you joined you joined emory and you joined the podcast back in uh april or early may i don't i don't recall but that this has been we I feel like we've been talking about the same topic of COVID and its impact on sports kind of relentlessly, but to some extent it probably deserves that attention because we have no idea what's going to be on the other side of it. Uh, I think we both also getting away from the professional sports and the TV ratings, thinking about college football, the college football season. Th- Maybe uh, the the way this is going to play out continues to evolve, let's say, with the big developments. I'll put two developments out there. Um, Justin Fields has put together mm. a petition that I think I saw this morning had about 220,000 uh, signatures <laughs> saying that uh, they want college football back, reinstated at Ohio State. I know there was an ESPN poll this morning with the question of should colleges play and i think that was about 60 to 40 so you know it's it's a sports heavy 60 audience 60 to 40 yes 60 to 40 yes it's a sports heavy audience okay. but definitely the public seems to be leaning towards that i almost get a sense that there's a shift in the momentum where it seemed like everything was going to shut down one after another last week to there being a growing a growing resistance now on the other side of that yep as colleges have opened, some corona clusters have popped up. Uh, North Carolina has made some news. And so I do wonder, 
if that starts to force their hands, individual schools' hands, if they've got a problem at, at the individual campus level. Oh, no doubt about that. Um, going back to this resistance to shutting down college football and a shift in momentum, it started with the players. It started with Trevor Lawrence on Twitter. Um, Justin Fields certainly showed some leadership on Twitter early on, as did a number of noteworthy college football players, as well as just kind of your like middle of the pack guys. Um, I, I follow quite a bit of Georgia guys, and just about the whole team was was tweeting out they wanted to play and they were willing to take on the risk. And so after the Big Ten shut down, um, well, Doug, parents, can I interrupt you just for a second there? Sure. And then I want you to continue the thought. Yeah. It seems like a big part of the momentum was a number of co- the momentum shift was a number of coaches coming out and making the point that the campus environment might be lower risk mm-hmm. than the non-campus environment. Um, with with some pretty good data that with some of these these schools that while they may have had a a, a bunch of folks test positive when they first came into the campus environment that the new cases of Corona for athletes on some of these high profile teams has been very, very low. Absolutely. And I think players echoing that logic has been important because it's changed the narrative. It's changed it from, are we endangering these, these kids by putting them out there playing a sport for our profit um, or to, you know, are we endangering these kids by taking them away from probably the safest environment and the best medical treatment that they'll have and, and the closest monitoring, et cetera. So um, it certainly changed the narrative. It changed the momentum. These players have have played a huge role in that. Some of these coaches, I know Ed Orgeron has been outspoken about wanting to play, um, as have Harbaugh and, and a number of guys. And so it's changed the Big Ten now. It's crazy. Last week, they were looking like they were going to lead the pack. And after they shut down, uh, a number of conferences have have refused to with the information they have to this point. They're not going to shut down until they have to. Um, Big Ten's getting quite well, a bit con- of pushback. They're getting parents writing letters from, from multiple schools. Um, I know Pablo Fields, Justin Fields' father, released a statement um, as well as he wrote a letter to the school. So it's it's uh, it's interesting to see, but all I know is SEC starts camp today and they're releasing the full schedule tonight, 7 p.m., keeping my eyes peeled, as I know some of you are. Um, and, you know, the SEC and ACC and Big 12 are moving on as if there's going to be a season. At, at this point, obviously, that could change. Well, and not just some of the conferences, right? Some of the individual teams. Uh, Nebraska seems willing to play <laughs> to, uh, right. I don't know, I, I don't know the logistics of what that would mean, potentially leave the Big Ten for a year, I guess. Uh, I remember seeing something that Navy wants to play. And, you know, so... It, I mean, the, if these schools are going to have seasons, the ones that are not in uh, the Power Three, I guess we'll say, they've got to figure out the logistics pretty quickly. But, yep. uh, God, interesting stuff. Yeah, and going back to, you mentioned some coronavirus clusters on college campuses. Um, I, I've been pretty quiet about my opinion on things, and I don't like to to disclose that often, but I will say that, I don't know how we expected thousands of 
18 to 21 year olds who are bored out of their minds to gather on campus and um, stay distance from each other and, and not partake in regular college activities. I think, I mean, I think that's the biggest issue going into college football and college sports that could shut everything down is that these kids being kids, doing what kids do, end up spreading the virus rampantly across college campuses and that, that these teams are impacted and that, um, you know, the risk of spread increases drastically. Well, it's a couple of observations. One a little bit unfortunate. When I was at the University of Florida on the faculty which, there, which we is used to, we unfortunate used to, in and of itself. <laughs> okay. But we used to laugh whenever we saw like a screwed up news story come up because inevitably it was out of the state of Florida. Um, you know, Florida man, is, Florida a, man. is a meme. You're the Florida man. But, but, but I will say this, that one of the things that's been fascinating sitting here in Georgia is that when it comes to Corona, whenever a story comes out or an unfortunate picture comes out, you know, it ends up being a Georgia high school with a crowded hallway <laughs> right. or a uh, North Georgia f- I don't know what you would call that block party. Yeah, frat party. Uh, yeah. Photo that went around. Photo that went around Twitter last night. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, there, there's there's kind of the question of realism on some of this stuff in terms of behavior. I mean, we you remember this lockdown started out with, and, and this feels like an irresponsible conversation to have, but. You know, the realism has to come into this at some point. This started as a two-week lockdown, and we are now, what, about five months into this. It makes you wonder if there needs to be, or if the athletic departments essentially need to create a bubble within the university bubble. I think that from what I've seen in terms of what some of the, the colleges, some of the schools are doing is even though it is face-to-face and slash hybrid model that there's been a real pullback to having the overwhelming number of classes as uh, as electronic classes as online classes um, you know in terms of my two children you know they, they each scheduled for full for full face-to-face classes and that shifted over the course of the summer to about 90 percent online and, and so I suspect that it, it, look, it, and it looks like this. I mean, in terms of how the NBA has played out versus MLB, that the best approach for any sports league is to keep as tight control as possible in terms of building protective structures and bubbles. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think these players and the students would be better off if, if it were just athletes on campus. And I understand schools would lose money or whatnot, but... If it was so bad in the spring that they had to go online uh, and now it's much worse, I don't understand why they're bringing everyone back at this point. Um, but but I'm coming at the per- from the perspective, obviously, is that I would like f- for sports to happen. And I'm just like, <laughs> this isn't good. Well, well, this is a problem. Do you know, I mean, is, what what is uh, what are the schools in the SEC saying about fans? Or are they still kind of kicking that down the road, hoping? I know what Georgia's saying right now. Um uh, they're saying like ten to twenty thousand fans, which will primarily be boosters and and you know season ticket 
people who are donating money um, will be in the stadium. I have no idea what that looks like. I mean, you think about how big that stadium is. It seats you know, close to 100,000. So they could have them all spaced out throughout the stadium, which is like what would make the most sense given what the objective is. Um, but we could end up with no fans. It's going to look weird no matter what for, for any college football game, especially an SEC game, to, to have a sparse crowd or empty stadium. Well, what do you think of the? I mean, I, I keep being struck by by some of the things I've seen in terms of Major League Baseball, where there's no one in the stands behind the batter, right? But if the batter hits a hits a ball, hits a home run, then suddenly there's full <laughs> electronic fans in the stands. Yeah, it's that's For, bizarre to me. Um, it's weird, but there's no getting around. Baseball is just weird to watch right now. However, they present it. The cardboard fans, the cardboard the empty yeah. fans. I probably think my favorite is just tarp in the stands, <laughs> and there's no seats, and it just is what it is. Um, but it's, well, I've noticed the 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 Cubs in particular are selling uh, tarp space. I think I saw on the highlights recently, hefty bags or you know hefty trash bags are covering a lot of the bleachers in Wrigley. It's weird. I feel like the NBA is trying to be creative with the LED screens and, and different presentations there. And like, it's still weird, but it's, I don't know. It's, they've definitely put in their effort. The MLB, when I watch it sometimes, it's just like, did these guys not even have a meeting about? It? They're like, oh, let's just put, no one will notice. We'll just put cardboard, um, <laughs> two dimensional fans in the crowd. And it'll look very professional. It'll look like a professional product for sure. Okay, other speculation about college football and if just a subset of the Power Five schools play, what is the impact beyond this season? Mm. Uh, in particular, with I guess the the first data point that would show up, what is the impact on recruiting? Yeah, I think the schools that play and the conferences that play are the beneficiaries in the future. Um, now, on the flip side of that, these other schools are going to have a bunch of red-shirted kids. I don't know how many kids they'll be able to bring in if they're keeping scholarships for kids because there's a scholarship limit, and a school like Georgia is packed out on it. If they were to not have a season but extend the scholarships of, of current players an extra year, then they would have no scholarships for incoming freshmen next year. Um, so I, they, that's a whole nother mess for the NCAA and, and these conferences to figure out. But as far as just purely the optics and the eyes of recruits, I know I've already seen a recruits say um, in a statement that he's glad he's committed to an SEC school because, you know, the SEC essentially puts football first, you know, that they're going to be playing and that there's no doubt. And while it's highly unlikely for this year's scenario to happen again, there's schools absolutely will use this for leverage. Um, these kids want to play and they know they're most, they now know where they're most likely to play, even in, in the most extreme of circumstances. Well, you know, you could almost imagine though the, uh, the tendency to, uh, take whatever reality you have and script it into the most advantageous story 
And so then the Big Tens will be going to high school. You know, now suddenly they have more time to recruit, right? They can be full-time recruiters. Yeah. But can also now spin the story about the emphasis on safety of players versus these uh, these other conferences that are all, mm-hmm. you know, playing at all costs. Yeah, so. they're going to – they don't care about your child's well-being. We do. We, yeah. we, we care about your child. But I suspect you're – I suspect you're right that um, – that if some of the teams play and other teams don't play, the you know, and Ohio State will be fine, of course. Uh, Michigan will be fine. But f- as you go down the pecking order, though, you know, frankly, I'm you know what I'm going to retract that statement. Um, at the very top echelon, where folks are definitely playing to get to the next level. You know, is that where the significant hit, um, and I can change my mind in mid-sentence, is that where the significant hit occurs? And so if you're talking about the upper four stars and the five stars, do you see a greater concentration in the SEC versus the, I mean, versus the Big Ten? Yeah, I think you will. Another thing to keep an eye on is transfers, because some of these kids are in their last season are in a position where they really need to or want to play this season. And what's going to happen if, if the Big Ten's really done and the SEC and ACC Big 12 are all really back, um, if half of our <laughs> state's roster is in the transfer portal trying to play elsewhere, trying to join a squad in the SEC, or, or you know, it could change the whole the whole you know, landscape of college football and certainly down the road uh, have its impacts. But it also, of course, would open up scholarships at at those schools and maybe give them some kind of uh, something in return going into next season. And I don't know. I don't know if the NCAA will allow those. They've let pretty much anyone transfer for whatever reason and play that year ever since Justin Fields, um, excluding Luke Ford, of course, who, by the way, Luke Ford... Uh, for those of you that don't know, this kid transferred from Georgia to Illinois because his. Hold on, hold on, hold on. For a little bit of further background on here, now this is a this is a little inside. Luke Ford was the top one or two, but potentially the top high school football player in the state of Illinois his senior year, and um, I think his final two schools were. Illinois and Georgia. Now, of course, this could be the standard thing where you you um, he knows he's going to Georgia, and maybe his second choice was Clemson or Notre Dame, and you keep the state school in the running till the end to keep everyone happy. But the starting point of this story was Luke Ford is an Illinois high school standout going to freshman year down in Georgia. Yeah, so he goes to Georgia, and he doesn't start, but we've got, you know, two senior tight ends. I mean, he's he's playing as a freshman, which is pretty rare, especially in the position he was in, and he was on a trajectory to have a great career, but there's some medical issues in his family. Uh, I believe it was his grandfather. Grandfather. Yeah, and so he transferred back home to be so that his grandfather could watch him play and to be closer to family. Um, this is the same time that Justin Fields is transferring from Georgia to Ohio State. Now, Justin Fields is granted a waiver. Luke Ford is not. He's not granted a hardship waiver on the basis that that you know his grandfather is essentially dying and he wants to be close to him and he wants him to be able to watch him play in person. Uh, essentially, the prototypical 
case for the hardship waiver right. of moving back home to be close to family due to family issues. Right. And so he's got the classic case. He moves up there. He has to sit a year, okay? His grandfather passes in that year, doesn't get to watch him play, um, thanks NCAA. And then this year, there's not going to be football for him, and his old school might be playing. And so he's going to end up missing potentially two years of his career. He could be NFL eligible, and and he could have enough film for teams to want to draft him by now if he were to play this season. Um, looks like that won't be the case. And he's he's like the ultimate... NCAA victim. I think that's absolutely fair. And and you're right. At the same time as the transfer system was essentially, I think the default used to be you sit out a year, but the transfer system was breaking at that time. And I remember that there was a lot of, a lot of coverage and I'm not going to, I don't remember the details, but that Luke Ford did not hire the correct or have the correct advisor, or I don't know the right lawyer. Involved yeah, in all that. Law- lawyer issue. I know Fields had the same one that had helped some other player get off on something. Yeah, and it, I think it was part of. Um, and I, look, I think it's an important story for all of college sports because I think this was part of the breakdown of, or the part of the continuing breakdown of the NCAA in terms of image and likeness. Uh, paying the players, all of these kind of things start to come together. Um, and so denying that to Luke Ford looked looked really bad. Now, I'll tell you one of the interesting things to me as a observer of fandom was how much support Luke Ford got from the Georgia fans. You know, typically you decide to transfer from a from a school, you know, it's like they love you when you're there, but as soon as you put on a different set of clothes and they've got no interest... But I think like the hashtag free Luke Ford actually originated from the from the Georgia fans. And if it didn't, it was definitely pushed by the Georgia fans. Yeah, it, it was. And Georgia fans rallied behind Luke Ford as well as Jacob Eason, both of whom were not <laughs> eligible to play that next season. Justin Fields is a different story because we knew he was going to go be a Heisman candidate somewhere else. And and People were pretty salty about it. I was less so. I felt um, like he was more justified than, than most fans did in leaving. But, yeah, Luke Ford's a guy that made no enemies uh, as far as the fans at, at Georgia. And, you know, he, he, he – I don't know. I wish I wish they would let a guy like him transfer back in if he wants to play this year. Or tra- well, And I'm I mean, not even saying to Georgia. I mean, anywhere that's playing. A little bit more – backstory for the folks too because the Justin Fields story is kind of uh you know the Justin Fields story is interesting especially right now where he's perhaps the the two leaders and on the player front to push for them to play football this year are Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence um, both those kids came out of, and Doug, always correct me if I get some of the details wrong, but if memory serves, both those kids were high, Georgia high school football players. God, that is just ranked, painful to hear, but yes, it is true. <laughs> ranked one and two in the country yep. at the quarterback position with astronomical, you know, five-star plus-plus ratings. Uh, Justin Fields decided to go to Georgia, even though there was a five-star quarterback on the roster in in terms of the timing of uh, touchdown Tony Eason's son, Jacob Eason, and a four-star player, Jake Fromm, who's also, you know, very highly regarded. 
with the the line being that he was there to compete. Now, of course, he, you know, Georgia had uh, Jacob Eason got hurt and transferred to Washington. Jake Fromm essentially took over the job, and then in terms of the competition, Fromm kept it uh, in terms of Justin Fields. Um, now, I think it's interesting about how this may all well may well all play out because being the number one and two players in the state of Georgia, you can easily imagine these guys being the number one and two picks in the NFL draft. Yes. And their stories will be dictated by this sort of lifelong competition, which is really kind of an interesting thing to to see it being set up in the early days. Yeah. I think the Justin Fields petition, like on one hand, it's like, what is that going to do? But on the other hand, it's 2020. Um, crazy stuff happens. What if the Big Ten came back? What if they were like, you know what? We're going to play that gummit. And Justin Fields all of a sudden, like, give this man the Heisman before the season starts as far as what his his impact on college football. Um, and obviously, Ohio State's likely to go undefeated if they play. Uh, if anyone's uh, seen their team and, and seen their competition, they're they're in my eyes, the favorite to win the national championship. So um, I don't know. It's like on the one hand, it's like this is all just them whining about what happened. But, I, I you know, the Big Ten's got a lot to lose with the SEC and ACC, you know, as far as recruiting's concerned and, and the optics and money and all the rest. And so I know they're salty that these other conferences didn't follow suit. And now they're getting a lot of backlash for being the the one that kind of took a stand uh, given the circumstances. So hard to walk back from their starting point. Though. I mean, when <laughs> you say it's player safety and then you get uh, pressure from the from the players, I mean, there, there's definitely a logic to these. Look, if these guys want to play, let them play. Uh, it's I, I find it hard to imagine the university presidents will walk back from their position of canceling the season based on issues of player health. Now, as there's, let's say, 40,000, 50,000 students on campus and pictures of block parties and fraternity parties and house parties, surface um the logic that has been put out there by i think like uh, sweeney from clemson of player safety being enhanced there might be a there might be a little bit of wiggle room frankly i think i'd I, look i mean the, the fan of me says I, i'd like to see it i can't imagine them crossing that line though uh, yeah I, I i can't either but again it's like almost the less likely something seems to be, the more I almost expect it, given how this year's gone. Uh, <laughs> well, when's the when's the first game of the SEC season? Oh, um, September. Late September. Yeah, late, it's in the 20s. I think it's the 24th or 26th. So four weeks. Um, yeah, we're a month away. Look, if the, yeah, if, any, if we've learned anything from now, the world can change a lot in four weeks. Now, I, I do question, I mean, I think, that after the Big Ten canceled the schedule, Nebraska was still holding practices. I don't know if they're they're continuing to hold the practices. Uh, I don't know if any other if any of the other teams crossed that you know took that step to keep pretending like there was going to be a season or, or not. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do know. I believe they're allotted. They're still allotted like hours to practice as a team. 
Which is interesting because essentially, it was well. They're probably taking it then, right? I mean, that's the thing. They they take every hour they have. I mean, part of the reason why it's so important to go to a bowl game is you get an extra few weeks of practice time. Yeah, um, but that that whole situation is interesting to me because you're saying it's not safe for them to play thirty hours a week, but it is safe for them to play twenty hours a week with the same group. Um, and so I guess the fear is is the competition between schools and, and it's spreading that way more so than within a team because these guys are still allowed to, to be at the facilities together and, and do their thing. Yes. Well, so another week and another ev- evolution of uh, COVID society and COVID sports. Anything else? Anything else you want to touch on before we let the folks go? I... Don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, you know, you know me. I'm like NBA playoffs start today. I'll probably be watching every game. I'll be keeping up with like fall camp for football, college football, NFL camps are like quietly happening right now. Um, and that season is looking more likely to me than college football for obvious reasons. And then. NHL playoffs, MLB season, like we're going to we're going to end up if things play out how they're looking at the moment, which it changes from moment to moment. If things play out how they're looking right now, we're going to end up with a loaded fall of COVID sports, fanless sports, but a lot of them. Absolutely. That's one of the that's one of the crazy things about all this is that We've got this interruption in in fandom where you know teams kind of lose momentum or sort of lose their natural structures of you know, like let's Major League Baseball lost opening day, which is a big event. They lost that hype. They lost the All Star All Star mm-hmm. weekend. And so so you lose some of these things, and now everyone's going to be competing. And and I forget when the, you know the. When when everything else is finishing up, how the NBA might be starting to come back to training camp for for the next season. So there's this on top of everything else, you got this hyper hyper level of competition. Um, let's say this though, in terms of um, so as we uh, as we point ahead for the podcast, a couple of things to to note, um, and, and I'll put put it out. I'll, I'll we'll we'll have the the post. Uh, meeting on air this week you know one of the things that we could definitely do moving forward is uh start to talk a little bit as the nba playoffs goes on start to talk a little bit about some of the advanced analytics one of the things that i've noticed watching nba telecast the last few years is they love to put analytics out there and in fact there's almost too many of these analytics and so one of the things i think we should do is take a look at some of the individual metrics essentially tease them apart, talk a little bit about the pluses and minuses of each of these and some of some of what these analytics means. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that I think is interesting about them that no one seems to get into. These analytics are usually put out there, but there's very little emphasis placed on the predictive value of these analytics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll hear that here's the plus or minus for this player or that player, um, this team has the highest offensive efficiency rating, blah, blah, blah. What do these things actually mean? And it, it, it's tough because it's one of these things where you realize you've got so many different statistics, but very little data in terms of, well, what's actually predictive. You know, what, Which of these statistics can you use to predict who's going to win the NBA playoffs? 
The other thing to point ahead to for the folks is later this week, we are going to release class six of our Fanalytics University series. Uh, the last couple of classes have focused on classic sports analytics, development of analytics, and in-game decision-making. In this week's class, we turn to the realities of making decisions within organizations and do some comparisons of human decision-makers versus analytical models, with the punchline there being, how can you complement the two? Yeah, and shameless plug along the lines of NBA metrics. Recently wrote an article on the blog, fanalyticswithmikelewis.com, breaking down which players have improved their impact on their team the most during the bubble, according to the metric PI, which is the player impact estimate. Uh, for those of you that, that follow basketball or are interested in, in that metric and the kind of sports analytics side of things, um, that is on the blog currently. So who are the who are the players? Yeah, we got TJ Warren is is our top guy. Um, as and that's one that anyone could have told you without any metrics. Uh, some of the other ones are interesting and kind of brought up some names that are less talked about. Uh, Timothy Luawu Kabarit, or I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. He's second. Darius Baisley, the rookie for the Thunder, is third. Darius Baisley. Uh, Dario Saric for the Suns is fourth. James Harden is an interesting one. He's the only all-pro on the list, but he has actually um, stepped up his game in the bubble. His true shooting percentage is up 9%, uh, and, and that's a shooting percentage that takes into account and weighs you know, threes and, and twos and, and where you're shooting on the court, essentially. Um, Austin Rivers, Tyler Hero for the Heat, Brooke Lopez for the Bucks, uh, Rudy Gay, okay. and Brad Wanamaker. That finishes out the list. Who, who has performed por- poorly in the bubble, according to that metric? Well, Mike, that's actually my next article. It is in the works, and you all can <laughs> keep your eyes peeled for it. FanaliticsWithMikeLewis.com Well, the only reason I asked you that question, and then we'll let you guys go, is you can see the, you can hear the professor in me. I, I get concerned about the audience getting, um, getting stir-crazy. Uh, stir that this uh this type of analysis that you're doing makes me always think about one of the applications of sports analytics and that is always gambling. And so for example, if you identify the players that are performing better in terms of some of these some of these performance statistics and you also identify the players that are performing relatively poorly on these it potentially sets you up to then look at matchups in the playoffs as the, as the seeds are set in terms of, well, where is there a potential issue? You know, who's having a problem in this new environment versus who's playing better, which may tend to help you identify places where the gambling lines are inefficient. So it's a, it's a nice analysis, and you know, I encourage everyone to take a look at it. Um, So until next week, actually until later this week, that's all for now. Sweet.